Welcome to the Hindu's Parley podcast, a weekly discussion that brings together subject experts for a deep dive into topics that are current and relevant. In the midst of the massive protests that have erupted in the US, social media platform Twitter decided to do something it had avoided for several years. It called out some of President Donald Trump's tweets as being incorrect information and as being against its policies. This prompted Trump to warn social media platforms of stricter controls via an executive order. It also prompted another social media giant Facebook to state that they did not want to take similar actions since they did not want to be arbiters of truth. These developments bring into focus the level of involvement the social media giants have in the dissemination of public discourse and raises questions on how these platforms should behave. To discuss these issues, we have with us Mishi Chaudhary, legal director of the Software Freedom Law Center in New York, and Rishabh Bailey, legal consultant for technology and policy at the National Institute of Public Finance and Policy, New Delhi. So the first uh, point that I wanted to raise was Twitter and Facebook go to great extent to avoid the arbiter of truth label but they also apply their terms of use selectively, evicting some of their platforms uh, while retaining others who commit the same offenses. Even during the Trump issue, the Twitter had dithered for long uh, on taking any action against his tweets. In this sense, are they not arbiters of truth already? Mishi, why don't you go ahead and uh, address that issue? Sure. Um, I like the phrase arbiters of truth. So let's uh, deconstruct that idea. I think truth is what you're talking about only by accident on these platforms. At least the ones you mentioned, they are actually creators of engagement who wish to usurp all human attention. And truth just happens by the way on the platforms. Because Inevitably, when you will have so much of engagement and everybody is talking and there is a reaction and there is an action and then again there is a reaction and the platforms feed on that, the entire business model feeds on that. So someday, inevitably, that will raise a question about are you for truth or are you against this truth? Now, um, what what the platforms you mentioned, whether it is Mr. Dorsey's or Mr. Zuckerberg's, I think mostly um, the action which uh, perhaps prompted this entire brouhaha once again is uh, uh, Mr. Dorsey going around and giving something which I would call ice in the winter time. That uh, it's only a label saying everybody who wants junk food saying, hey, come here, eat spinach that we're going to look for more facts on that issue. But uh, most of the platforms want to say what Mr. Zuckerberg has said. Basically, we really don't care. We don't care about this. And uh, all we are here is to serve our business model, which is served by the reaction here. Now you are forcing us to take responsibility of something. So we just want to bow out and tell you that we are... Uh, a private platform which has its own rules and regulations and community guidelines don't push us to a space where we don't want to and we don't want to take any kind of responsibility so we really don't care 
now that's why the society has to decide what it wants to do now that the media of information distribution is run by people who don't care and who prioritize engagement over truth to them the more you and i engage on the platform that is far more important than whether i am deciding that whatever information is being peddled that's the truth or post truth or whatever one wants to call it so um so so from my point of view uh, i think it is just by accident that they get there and that's why they want to avoid this difficult position all right great uh, uh rishab what is your take on this so as mishi alluded to um platforms do push certain types of content or curate content to maximize engagement so yes these platforms are to some extent arbiters of what types of content and conduct they will carry um this i think arises out of four factors first you have the communications decency act in the us which explicitly establishes a self regulatory framework for intermediaries to follow so this law basically empowers intermediaries to make decisions regarding what content to carry which is seen as avoiding government intervention and therefore protecting speech second you have the fact that these entities are typically seen as private platforms therefore you could argue that they have the right to choose what content they want to show third there is the fact that the user platform relationship is typically governed by contractual conditions which give platforms therefore a great deal of power in deciding what types of con- conduct and content that they will actually permit and then of course there are practical considerations so for example often decisions have to be made quickly or in real time so for instance when you when you think of streaming of illegal or harmful content such as terrorist attacks or suicide attempts and so on also the sheer volumes of content being exchanged on these platforms makes it difficult or impractical for external decision making in all cases particularly where you have low harm large volume kind of uh, decisions to make now any platform will have to make choices about the kinds of content that it will carry i mean this is true even for traditional media the difference however is the fact that the internet permits interactivity and allows users to share content on a previously unimaginable scale so this is what makes it really difficult for a platform to scrutinize and make judgments on what to permit and what not to permit particularly as big platforms of global user bases Of course this also makes the internet what it is today as the supreme court recognized in the 2016 shreya singhal case the internet is a global marketplace of ideas now in this case the court also broadly accepted that intermediaries should not have a decision making role over content and that they should be left to appropriate government authorities and courts however self regulation in general in general was also not prohibited just that there could be no obligation imposed on intermediaries to remove illegal content on their own So to my mind the question you asked actually raises two really important questions uh, or issues that are alluded to in Trump's executive order and that are not actually addressed by what he has sought to do. The first of these is that whether it is actually a competitive marketplace that is that these platforms are currently operating in. Whether users are able to switch services frequently and at easily. Second is the issue of whether platforms are actually being transparent and accountable to their users and how they actually exercise their powers. I think we need to look at these broader issues as well when we're trying to address issues of online uh, content moderation. Yeah. Let's go on to the next uh, line that I wanted to discuss uh, about the cloud that these uh, platforms have. Uh Facebook and its various platforms like Instagram and WhatsApp along with Twitter 
have a say over the self-expression of billions of people now. If you take into consideration Google also, never before in history have so much control rested with so few people and that to private entities. In your view, have the cloud grown too much? And if so, what is the best method of control for them? Is it government regulation or self-regulation? Uh, uh, Rishabh, why don't you go ahead on this? Now, it's undoubtedly true that the big technology companies are incredibly powerful in the world. I mean, um, I think, you know, if you look at your top 10 most valuable companies in the world, most of them are actually technology companies. And this can, of course, be problematic in a variety of ways. I mean, I think being in being a journalist, you will also be aware of, for example, how the advertising market is now increasingly moving towards certain specific platforms as opposed to being more uh, widely spread out. So of course, I think it's important to find methods of regulating online platforms. However, it's important to do this without hurting the sort of benefits that the internet has also brought us, whether it's in terms of promoting civil liberties or enhancing efficiency. So I don't particularly think that Trump's move to threaten to take away their immunity if they don't adhere to, you know, these government set good faith standards is a particularly smart one or for that matter, constitutional, you know, I don't think it'll actually survive um, court cases. Um, there is no single answer, I think, about what should be done about online content moderation practices. I mean, this is something that countries around the world are struggling with. Now, while there's clearly a problem with the way platforms do handle their content moderation, how they self-regulate, having the government involved in censorship is also far from ideal. I mean, quite obviously, this can lead to over-censorship or politically motivated censorship, particularly in a country with a relatively low rule of law standard as in India. We've also seen, for example, how even relatively independent bodies such as the CBFC have performed in India. Um, of course, on the other hand, there are practical and legitimacy related problems with making intermediaries responsible for taking decisions on the legality of third party content. Now, the primary issue, including as alluded to in Trump's executive order, appears to be a lack of transparency and accountability in decision making and allegations of bias and discrimination. Now, as I mentioned earlier, these problem, problems are somewhat exacerbated by the monopoly that many platforms enjoy. So I think there does have to be broader thinking on the structural problems of the digital economy. But regarding censorship in itself, first, I think it's important not to try and put in place a sort of one-size-fits-all approach. I mean, intermediaries are of many different kinds and perform a range of functions. So if any regulations are actually brought in, they should be targeted based on the risks at hand and the functions each intermediary is performing. So putting in place generic regulations as the Indian government planned to do in its intermediary guidelines rules of December 2018, I think makes very little sense. Second, I think it also makes sense to focus on regulating the procedural aspects of how certain types of intermediaries go about their business. So the German NETS DG law is a good example of something we can look to learn from maybe, even though this might also have problems. Now, just so that you understand, so this is a targeted law that requires social media companies with over 2 million registered users in Germany to put in place processes to receive user complaints and disable access to manifestly illegal content. Companies are also required to improve their transparency mechanisms and make public disclosures of how they handle complaints and so on. So the law basically finds companies not for failing to remove content in itself, but only if they don't have robust grievance redress uh, mechanisms in place. So basically, we can look at putting in place some sort of targeted or proportionate measures that clarify the obligations on what intermediaries are required to do or not from a procedural perspective, 
with an aim to make them more transparent and accountable to users. And this can, of course, be done through supervised self-regulation or even co-regulatory processes. Um, as Mishi pointed out, I also think it's important to sort of understand how experiments such as Facebook's oversight board will work uh, and that this will be something interesting to follow. Of course, um, while um, even, you know, uh, systems like Facebook's oversight board do have a number of problematic aspects, um, it is an interesting way of, of, you know, at least from the company's perspective, trying to avoid excessive state regulation. Uh, finally, I think it's also important to mention the fact that often we're looking for technological quick fixes for sort of broader problems that we have in society. So in the Indian context, when we talk about intermediaries having to do more to prevent harms arising from, say, fake news or distribution of obscene content and so on, we should also keep in mind that there is a broader need to ensure that, say, vigilantism is not celebrated and that we become a more gender-just society. So just putting in place more responsibilities on platforms or over-criminalizing certain acts alone will not help matters. Um, that said, I think that this is an evolving process and it would make sense for there to be more responsible cooperation between the government platforms and, importantly, civil society just to see how things can be improved rather than taking completely adversarial positions. Mishi, can you, can you come in on this? Sure. Um, so as I, I think what you just said about the fact uh, about power of the platform companies, which mostly are arising from Silicon Valley and how it impacts all of our expression has a lot to do with the United States First Amendment uh, traditions. Now, it's not just Facebook. I, if uh, it were teenagers, they would tell us that that platform plateaued long ago and it is only for the oldies. But it is the other properties that Facebook processes, whether it's Instagram or WhatsApp which controls a very large part of the population of the world. And it is capable of now structuring the, uh, the uh, information experience, the intellectual experience, the social as well as the cultural and political experience of billions of people around the world. And that gives immense power to Anybody who can control and be in our homes or in front of our conscious in such an omnipresent and all throughout the day kind of a way. So um, the platforms and then uh, what happens if you if you look at it, it's like a parasite with the mind of God, because the data it collects, there is just way too much of it. And it has walked into the nervous system of human beings. And then politics enters and politics makes deals with this parasite. So that's why we see that a most of our social life, our intellectual life is governed and mediated on these platforms. And then when a politician comes, that politician uses these platforms to find their support bases, um, the people who they can animate, the people who they want to deanimate somebody who they don't want to show up at the day of elections and the others they do wish to show up at the day of the election. And it's called advertising for the politician also, but that's not what it is. It is this control of the nervous system which reaches people's emotions and provide people news. The emotions is that how they will engage. So that's why to say they have power is absolutely true. And uh, uh, whether we wanted them to have so much of power, that's a different story. And that's what we are discussing now, how 
the society now arbitrates about these issues. But the way the question is framed is as if we all just want to tweak and fix the current system itself, whether it is the liability issues under Section 79 in, uh, in India or the counterpart of DMCA plus Section 230 in the Communication Decency Act. All of us are now having a discussion, assuming it's going to be something which will be a little different from what it is today. And it will either be antitrust, that something would be broken up, or it would be regulation of some kind or the other. And then we will go about uh, our business. I want to say that the companies recognize that something must change. They know that the jig is up. And they know that the period of unregulated behavior is over. And like you rightly asked in the first question, not a moment too soon, because they also understand the extent of the ecological damage they have done. And they know that denial is no longer going to work. And that's why they are also in the negotiation mode. The governments have recognized that no matter how much they wish to take advantage of all the social media, they can just go on taking it advantage and calling it innovation. And because it also harms people and everyone knows that it's not just innovation, but it's also harm. So, so we will have to figure it out. What is it that we want? And I do not think there are simple answers of uh, saying, oh, we want self-regulation. We don't want self-regulation. There is no other way if it's not going to be a mixed question. That's why there's an oversight board which has been now appointed by Facebook because um, there has to be something more than just self-regulatory behavior. Otherwise, we wouldn't all be here. And, why, and if you try to introduce the government in the picture, A, it's going to be used mostly for political censorship. B, it is going to start this entire process of where everybody is self-censoring because they live in fear. See, we will also we, we will also know that only the people who are dissenting or saying something which is unsavory to the powers that may be are the ones who are going to be pursued under those laws, and they will just become a tools of tool of harassment. So, um, I'm sorry, we don't. I don't have a simple answer, but I don't think anybody does. And that's why it leads us to this executive order, which we can talk about. Great, that's quite interesting. Uh, Mishi, we'll we'll move on to the uh, the the next question, a more detailed uh, uh, look mm -hmm. at uh, the section two hundred and thirty that was mentioned earlier. Uh, section two hundred and thirty of the Communications Decency Act in the U.S. has been credited with having spurred innovation in the technological sphere, and in India, the section seventy nine of the Information Technology Act. Uh, provide some cover for the platforms. Uh, however, besides Trump's angry reaction to the Twitter fact check, uh, where he said he'll bring an ordinance to uh, uh, block them, uh, there are major moves among the US legislators to modify this act. Do you think taking away the indemnity of platforms on the content that they host will throttle innovation? Um, okay. Um... Great question. Um, I I do have to say um, here is that uh, the executive order has at least succeeded in doing what uh, it actually is, which is uh, which is political theatrics. And 
uh, the president is uh, excellent at that. Uh, he's had several years of practice being a reality TV star. This is just political theatrics. In fact, once you start analyzing the executive order also, you understand that uh, uh, a bunch of um, legal precedent, which uh, no longer holds true or is not relevant at all, has been clubbed together. And, um, uh, and, and then expectations are made about something which will be thrown out in courts uh, at the first instance itself. Now, um, uh, the question about uh, any time we think about uh, Section 230, uh, the, the idea is also about whether it's going to throttle innovation and whether too much of regulation is going to drive down these companies or platforms to a point where we won't be able to get different means of innovation. Now, um, I think the debate again or the question or the answers are not very black and white. Before all these troubles started happening, the 2016 election had already happened. Um, the antitrust questions which have been opened by the European Commission have already been underway. The, despite the fact that uh, there is um, a, a reliance a deal with Facebook and Facebook has tried to be in India for the longest time and 90% of their users base is now outside the United States, um, there is still a ton of concentration of discussion about 230 and what it they, what that did uh, in um, in the United States for the platform companies. Now, all the factors which I mentioned while they were happening, um, there was definitely a need which was felt that the companies have gone too far on the other side. And A, they were not really innovating. B, they were mostly acquiring new products or just squishing out uh, smaller products or new competitors who they did not like. Um, so it's not that they were doing something else. And one, and at the time 230 was enacted, it's at the very, very beginning. And that time we needed such a thing. And uh, today we live in a very different world where Surveillance is the only uh, economy where, or only business model that internet knows. People are addicted to free data. People are addicted to free services in return of uh, free spying by the commercial platform companies. And that's what their business model is. So that wasn't the age we lived in at that time when 230 was required, was enacted. So obviously you're right that there have been calls about um, antitrust inquiries, there have been calls about amending section 230 and um, something has to shift. As I said, the jig is up, everybody recognizes it, but nobody quite knew where they want to land. Now, um, I'm going to address a little bit about the current executive order. The executive order um, uh, confuses lots of concepts. Um, websites are not public fora. The United States Supreme Court jurisprudence is pretty clear about that. They are not public fora. Um, it cites two cases that uh, the executive order thinks applies to social media platforms. There is a 1980 case which was about uh, shopping malls. And uh, there was also another case about uh, restrictions on Internet, which is imposed by the state laws. Um, neither of them apply to this. Um, there is another case which applies, uh, which is the Manhattan Access case of 2019. 
the eo the executive order also thinks that there is a distinction between who is a publisher who is a platform the entire point of section 230 was that this doesn't matter at all anybody whether it is fox news or whether anybody else if there are comments being put there is user generated content you cannot sue the platform so so twitter if it put that fact check label it can be responsible for that but it cannot be responsible for anything else of what the what the president is saying there uh, in fact uh, uh, so uh, the the goal of entire this is as i said political theatrics it will start a series of litigation against these platform companies and that means that people will be kept busy um there is a lot of talk about new agencies they have been made responsible for rule making etc that also is not going to go because these agencies are not empowered to do what the president thinks that he can order them to do that's why there is a uh, word weaseling around what they can do now comparing that situation to india is um uh, again not that ever two countries are same but the situations are very different here also in india section 79 has been continuously challenged uh, since its enactment and um, uh, we start it with the avnish bajaj case where uh, the industry realized you're not going to have any e-commerce if you're going to go keep arresting uh, ceos of companies and in india we love uh, trying to have criminal liability for everything um, uh, so so 79 when it starts in india the the vision is the same that we want the platform companies to do new things to come have new uh, innovative ideas in india and we will have to protect them some way or the other otherwise nobody is going to start up nobody is going to do anything because they'll be continuously living in the fear of what if somebody says something and then i am supposed to pay the price for it what has happened in india is that uh, um the price everybody is paying but these we only get to talk about the larger players the bandwidth is hogged by a facebook or a google or somebody like that who can afford litigation teams but the smaller players cannot so you're already creating a lot of trouble for the smaller players and um, uh, and, and there are there what and the smaller players cannot have large litigation teams and then uh, address these questions there are continued challenges somebody is challenging a platform to say x person wrote a bad review about my educational institution take it down otherwise i am suing you for defamation police harasses platform companies all the time the smaller uh, trial courts are filled with such cases where as recently as today a judgment of the supreme court which came in 2015 is cited the shreya singhal one which rishabh was mentioning so i i will say it is much more complicated and in india the tendency is that uh, that we uh, tend to think that either uh, 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 either we want uh, a lot of regulation by the government or we want the companies to do something and once they start to do something then they then we will have trouble with companies censoring us um and uh, for whatever reasons and uh, if the government starts we know that it is a slippery slope and that is why uh, 
I, I, I think that to understand 230, uh, the answer is not an executive order. Um, the answer is not what it strives to state. Uh, similarly, in India, new intermediary liability rules are coming. And those new, we haven't seen them yet, but they're equally problematic. And each time um, they are used to arm twist the company to get something or the other. Having said that, I will also say that the companies, the platform companies based out of Silicon Valley um, play a very different game based on which jurisdiction they are in. If they're in America, they'll sing a different tune. In India, they have been singing different tunes for a long time. What they do now, uh, we will see. Um, so that's where I think the executive order states. For now, um, it will be thrown out in courts very soon. All right. Uh, Rishabh, what is your take on this? Now, I think that Trump's move to make uh, safe harbor conditional can have serious effects on civil liberties. I mean, companies will now have to adhere to whatever standards the US government sets for them. Or in the alternative, they'll have to avoid any sort of moderation whatsoever, which can also be problematic. But before actually answering the question, I think it's important to keep in mind that there are differences in the intermediary liability frameworks in India and in the US. Now, the concept of safe harbor in the Communications Decency Act in the US arose for good reasons. I mean, the logic basically is that if intermediaries tried to moderate content, they could face litigation as they would then be treated as editors or publishers under common law. So given the sort of nascent state of the industry in the mid-1990s, this could significantly affect online businesses if they were constantly having to fight suits. So Section 230 of the CDA basically does two things. It first recognizes that all intermediaries are not publishers. And second, it explicitly sets up a self-regulatory system for intermediaries. In India, on the other hand, the law was primarily brought in to extend the common law of distributors' liability to the internet. So the IT Act just clarifies that intermediaries are not to be liable for illegal third-party content if they don't actively participate in the commission of, of the offense or if they take down content once they have actual knowledge of this. So in order to gain immunity, companies basically have to show three things. First, that they were not actively involved in whatever illegal activity was being carried on. Second, that they followed due diligence in carrying out their functions. And third, they followed, you know, takedown requests from the governments or courts. Now, there are basically two purposes of this provision. So first is to extend, as I said, the concept of distributors liability to the internet. So basically, you can't be responsible for things you have no control or knowledge about. Second is to move the burden of proof away from the intermediary. Now, the original version of Section 79, when it was enacted in 2000, had language under which an intermediary basically had to show that it had taken all relevant measures to prevent illegal content from being exchanged. This then, of course, led to the CEO of Bazi.com being arrested because users had you know, uh, exchanged an obscene clip online. So the provision was then changed in, 20, in 2008 and now intermediaries just have to show that they've carried out due diligence under the guidelines laid down by the government. Now, these are the guidelines that basically lay down uh, how self the self-regulatory framework that companies are required to adhere to and how they are to interface with the government. Um, there's, however, no specific requirement to censor content. And so the decision broadly remains with the intermediary on how to enforce its terms. So changing these provisions by removing or significantly diluting safe harbor provision protections will certainly have a negative effect on the digital ecosystem, both in terms of innovation and, of course, importantly, in terms of civil liberties protections. It's been broadly accepted by academic literature, courts in India and abroad. 
that holding an intermediary responsible for third-party content could lead to a chilling effect on free speech. I mean, as Nishi mentioned, smaller platforms in particular could face significant harassment if protections are removed. Basically, you'll then have to move to a system where companies are incentivized to over-censor. Now, while there haven't been proposals to take away safe harbor altogether in India, there have been proposals to cast more onerous obligations on intermediaries in order to avail of this protection under Section 79. Uh, of course, moves in the US to curtail this immunity can also be used in India to justify implementing these greater obligations. So, for example, our government had suggested imposing a number of you know, onerous conditions in the draft intermediaries guidelines rules of December 2018. And as I mentioned earlier, I think these rules were misplaced and went a little too far. Luckily, they haven't yet been notified, but I think we can expect our government to also come up with new rules sooner rather than later. Um, just a couple of problems with these uh, guidelines that were uh, the draft guidelines that were uh, noted uh, that were announced by the government in 2018. So these rules, for example, sought to mandate proactive filtering of illegal content and also require intermediaries to put in place methods to trace and identify users. Of course, both of these could seriously affect rights of speech and privacy in the online world and would also impose significant costs on intermediaries. You also then can question the efficacy of automated measures to filter content, as also the need to move to completely automated decision making, which in some contexts might be even worse than having individuals actually make censorship decisions. Uh, but yes, I mean, I do think that platforms do need to be more responsible for certain online harms. It's just that I don't think putting in place extremely onerous obligations or excessively criminalizing behavior or threatening to take away their safe harbor protections altogether is a particularly good idea. So as I mentioned earlier, putting in place risk-based, proportionate and targeted measures aimed primarily at enhancing procedural aspects may be a good place to start. Great. Those are some excellent points. And in fact, the... Uh, platform uh, publisher uh, bifurcation is something that uh, I wish we had uh, more time to get into. Uh, but I think we will have to uh, wrap up here for now. Thank you, Mishi. Uh, thank you, Rishabh, uh, for your participation. Thank you for doing this. Uh, it was great to have you here and uh, hope our uh, readers enjoy this too.